Where there is forgiveness of sins, there is no longer any offering for sin. In the name of Jesus, amen. Sacrifice. Over the last several weeks, we've heard a lot about a sacrifice and priests in our readings from the book of Hebrews. There's a lot of that kind of thing in there. Um, if, if you've been listening, you, you've heard all of that. But of course, if you've, if you've turned it out or tuned it out, uh, if you tuned out during those readings, today's included, it's understandable. For that, that, that kind of language, compared to when it got written down, well, it's pretty removed from us. Animals getting slaughtered, blood spilled here and there, either as part of a, an Old Testament ritual prescribed by God or some pagan rite. Animals are something, sometimes other things, sacrificed to, uh, to somehow sway the gods or set things right or make you fit for God's presence or at least uh, keep you unfit for his zapping. Back in the times when the book was written, uh, that wasn't weird. It was just like Tuesday. <laughs> Not so much for us. We're beyond that. Uh, when the new playground down the street um, got dedicated, there may have been a ribbon cut or something, but I doubt the head of the neighborhood uh, association uh, sacrificed a chicken <laughs> over the swing set for the protection of the children. No. If someone did that, you'd probably steer clear of that particular playground. And so when the author of the Hebrews says something like, priests don't need to make their sacrifices anymore because Jesus once and for all sacrifice puts an end to that. Well, you may be thinking to yourself, well, that kind of sounds like a solution to a problem I don't have. It's not as if before of hearing of Jesus' forgiveness, you were all about sacrifices, but then heard it, got baptized, and no more charred goats. I think it's statistically the case that most people in Charlottesville are not worshiping this morning. But that does not mean that they're home sacrificing chickens. (laughs) Unless it's a part of an omelet or something like that. No. But what if they are sacrificing other things? What if we insofar as we stand apart from Jesus' forgiveness, stand apart from Jesus' sacrifice, or step out from the shadow of his cross and the receiving and giving of forgiveness that flows from it, what if we are thereby dragged back into the sacrifice business? Not of goats or chickens, mind you, but of more precious things. A reading from Hebrews has this, this summary statement. It says, where there is forgiveness, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. Uh, but to get to the point that I, I want to try to make and illustrate, I'm going to ask you to flip that phrase around. Uh, if it's true that where there is forgiveness, there is no longer any offering for sin, it's also true that where there is not forgiveness, Where forgiveness is not going on, there will be, even must be, offering for sin. Where instead of being forgiven, sin and its consequences goes on festering. Where instead of forgiveness making a plain, mountains of shame ascend and valleys of guilt deepen, sacrifices 
must happen and do. That's my contention anyway from this reading. Where forgiveness is not going on. Something or someone is getting sacrificed. And that is something we definitely have not moved beyond. A podcaster I listened to, he's a pastor, a friend of a friend. A couple of years ago, he wrote a book called Living in Sin. And it's a great title, I think, because instead of being about what people usually mean when they say living in sin, it's actually about the opposite. It's about marriage. <laughs> living in Sin is a book about marriage. <laughs> Again, I've only read the cover matter, but the gist is that to be married, because being married always means being in very close proximity to another sinner who, because you spend more time with that person than anyone else on the planet, is also going to be the person against whom you sin more and who sins against you most hurtfully more than any other. Because of that, to be married means to live in sin, to get more practice at sinning than the unmarried. And then so the counsel of the book, you better make sure that since you are living in sin as a married couple, better make sure your marriage is also a place where there's a whole lot of forgiveness going on. Because if there's not, and now this is me making my point from Hebrews, if there's not forgiveness going on in that marriage, what will be going on? Sacrifice. Where there's not forgiveness going on, things will get sacrificed. Goats and chickens, doubtful. More precious things. Peace of mind, sleep, health, blood pressure, joy. How about children? How many children, how many of our children, because let's face it, our homes are far from the storehouses of forgiveness that they could and should be. How many children get sacrificed because of the forgiveness that does not go on between husband and wife, their father and mother? And I don't mean just divorce, but the hurt done to children who get a front row seat to the living in sin. But never, or at least not often enough, see their parents actually forgiving one another. Do you see the point? <laughs> How this sacrifice thing is not so far behind us, where there's not forgiveness going on, things will get sacrificed. Where there's not forgiveness going on, sins will get paid for. In people, hearts, precious things, broken, burned, and destroyed. Once you start thinking this way, if you start thinking of places where there's not forgiveness going on, it kind of starts bubbling up and say, oh yeah, <laughs> there's a cost to this. There's sacrifices that have to be made to, to feed this unforgiveness. In Bible class through this past Wednesday, I uh, told a little story I made told before about this couple, brother and sister from my previous congregation, or one of them, back up in New England, hadn't spoken to, to one another in 10 years when I got there, um, there's some fallout over a, a fairly insignificant um, inheritance issue when their mother had died. 
And I say insignificant because everything I could tell, both of these people, brother and sister, were fine. <laughs> Financially, I guess you'd say. Both had nice houses on the water, I think vacation homes. They, they, were, they had plenty. Um, but both of them, both of them said it was the other one. Yeah. Uh, both of them uh, evidently, again, said the other one, connived to make things 60-40 rather than 50-50 and when mom had died 10 years ago. And that was it. From that day on, they sat two year, two pews apart in church, but refused to look at one another or shake hands during the sharing of the peace. It was just stupid and sad. And in the absence of forgiveness, a sister's sacrifice is not a chicken, but what? She sacrificed a brother. A brother's sacrifice is not a goat, but a sister. Went to their graves unreconciled. Burned up a relationship with their only sibling on the unholy pyre of I'd rather be right than love. course it works the other way too <laughs> praise god it's kind of the point where there is forgiveness going on this is what the hebrews actually says where there is forgiveness going on there will be no more sacrifice i'll spare you the specifics spare me the specifics too for that matter but this past week i had the opportunity um, to ask someone directly for their forgiveness Let's just say that they were a victim of my substandard pastoring, which may not surprise you. <laughs> no, no two ways about it. I let them down, and they were hurt, and they'd come to express their hurt. Now, usually when someone does that, my first reaction is to try to justify it or um, contextualize or somehow blunt the blow to my ego, but the, the sinfulness of my actions in this case was just a little too clear, even for someone as self-righteous as myself, uh, to ignore. And so I said, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And I was forgiven. Is everything perfect now? No. Is everything exactly as I would like it to be now? Far from it. Are there yet negative consequences because of my actions? Yes, there, as there, there very often are. But because of that forgiveness, you know what did not happen? Sacrifice. Because of that forgiveness, you know what did not get sacrificed? A friendship. A unity in Christ. That is still rock solid, and I rejoice in that. My guess is that without too much trouble, you can think of both kinds of scenarios in your own life and in the lives of those close to you. Some place where the absence of forgiveness, maybe for a long time, has meant lots of offerings of guilt and shame and groveling and other precious things that never really help, or sacrifice of relationships, perhaps. But I hope you've experienced the other side, too. The giving and receiving of forgiveness that puts an end to sacrifice. <laughs> Maybe you've even seen something raised, seen seen something raised up that a lack of forgiveness that had before slaughtered. You see, that's even the most perhaps miraculous thing about this forgiveness. Once you kill a goat or a chicken, well, you got a dead goat or chicken. No bringing it back. 
But to a friendship or relationship once left cold and lifeless on an altar of pride and resentment? I forgive you, spoken to you or by you, why that can prove as powerful and life-giving as, the, as, as, resurrecting, as resurrecting as Lazarus come forth from the lips of Jesus. Oh yeah, Jesus. <laughs> I haven't been talking enough about Jesus in this sermon. But it's from Jesus that all of this springs. Jesus who himself was one of those kind of sacrifices, slaughtered, killed on the altar of pride and resentment and anger and envy we call the cross. Jesus himself was one of those sacrifices left cold and lifeless on the pyre of our unforgiveness, but one of those sacrifices that didn't stay dead. Most miraculous of all raised up, not because of something we did or said, but raised up to say sacrifice will not have the last word. Raised up by the forgiveness of his own father, his father forgiving you and me. Raised up by your most merciful father who is absolutely relentless in his insistence on forgiving you. Utterly ruthless. When it comes to doing way with anything and everything that can keep you from resting in his arms and delighting in his will now and forever. You stain your hearts, he sprinkles you clean. You dirty your body, he washes you whole. You stand before him guilty and ashamed, saying, what can I do? What can I possibly offer? What can I sacrifice to undo it all, Lord? And before you can finish your sentence, in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, forgiveness flows over you like a torrent of mercy from his hands, his feet, his side, and his heart. What are you talking about, he says? Sins. I remember your sins no more. Sacrifice for what? He says, where there's forgiveness of sins, there is no more sacrifice, and you, my child, are forgiven. We hang that cross, that altar of sacrifice on our, our walls, the last altar of sacrifice. We hang it on the wall, we put it around our neck, dangle it in other places. We proclaim it. Until he comes, we proclaim the Lord's death and receive its fruits with a supper uh, every single week. We do that because the forgiveness that flows from that. Why it is the most precious, beautiful thing in the world. Beloved, forgiven, renewed children of God, what a power you've been given. To snatch from the fire the most precious thing. Echoing his, your I forgive you's, bring dead things to life. Wow. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.